welcome to Biohack Your Beauty, the show where we are on a mission together to discover the most powerful beauty biohacks, nutrition principles, lifestyle habits, and spiritual practices for optimal well-being and radiant vitality. I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp, and I'm so excited to bring you this powerful new episode. So when I created the BYB podcast, I really wanted to connect all of the dots about optimal living because I do believe they're all connected and that the physical, the emotional, the spiritual components all intertwine and are synergistic. Today's incredible guest, Jen Groover, is an expert on just that. As an international speaker on topics ranging from optimizing human potential for increased success and happiness, emotional intelligence, empowered parenting, branding, and empowerment, Jen Groover's influence and leadership have inspired thousands of people to realize their greatest potential on all levels. Jen made Forbes' list of 50 founders you need to follow on Twitter and has been tagged by Success Magazine as a one-woman brand and creativity and innovation guru. Jen was recently nominated as a United Nations delegate to the first-ever Global Accelerator for the Global Entrepreneurs Council. In this episode, Jen and I talk about everything related to human potential— including changing limiting beliefs and habits, forming new neural pathways in the brain, and creating the optimal mindset for manifesting and happiness. Here are some of the questions we answer on the show. What is key to living a more powerful and intentional life? How is your belief system creating your outcome? How can you change your limiting beliefs about money? How can you create new neural pathways in your brain? What does your physiological state have to do with reaching your own potential? What lifestyle choices optimize your mental and emotional state? What is an emotionally intelligent way to deal with conflict? What is scarcity mindset and how can it hinder your personal growth and potential? What is abundant mindset and what powerful affirmation can help you implement it? Before I start the show, I want to tell you about this incredible DHA I have been using for energy and longevity to support my mental focus and cognitive function and to help balance my hormones. This DHA is created by Shizandu and it is the most potent pure algae oil full of omega-3s and completely free of heavy metals, chemicals, hexanes, solvents, fillers, GMOs, or BPA. Now secretly, I love it for its beautifying properties because it's made such a difference in my complexion and my hair and nails, and I feel really good knowing that it provides protection from environmental stress. So I almost always add it into the mix when I'm making my own face masks. You can find it on Amazon or at shizandu.com and use code DORA for 12% off your order. All right, I know you are ready for this powerful, dynamic, and inspiring episode. So without further ado, Jen Kruver. Well, hello, Jen. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yay. How's your day going? Amazing. I mean, summer is my favorite time of the year. So I just love walking outside first thing in the morning, fresh air and just warmth and not having layers on as I live in the Northeast. So we have to wear layers a lot of times during the year. So I'm just, I'm always happy, but I'm happier than happy when it's summertime. I feel you so much. I love the warm weather. I love the summer. I'm not a winter person. I don't know how you can you can do the cold. It's too cold where you are. Yeah, it is. Um, my daughters are going to freshman year in high school. And so I tell them when they graduate, I am out of here. Yes. <laughs> do you have a plan like where you want to go? My destination, my, my core destination might be Florida or quite honestly, You know, I tell a lot of my younger clients, if I was in my 20s, I would literally be the laptop entrepreneur living in different countries every few months. And if 
if I could do it over, that's what I would do. But uh, entrepreneurship, when I first started, wasn't like it is today. And this was back in 1995, and I had a brick and mortar gym. Uh, so I traveled a lot for work, though, too. But uh, I actually am considering when they graduate doing kind of that um, with a little bit more uh, ability to have luxury while doing it. <laughs> that would be amazing. You'll be in like Bali and like, yes. you know, the Caribbean. You'll be living it up. Yes, exactly. And just I want to stay places for a few months at a time and get used to it and like really assimilate it and then off to the next place. Oh my gosh, I'm oh my so gosh, excited I'm so for you. That's going to be amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for it. My, I just have to convince my boyfriend uh, to go into like retirement mode in four months. Yes. <laughs> I mean, four years. Yes, exactly. No, I get it. I think, you know, he'll, if I were your boyfriend, I would come along. That sounds like a great thing to sign up for. So, sure. All right. So, Let's start by talking a little bit about human potential, because I'm super excited to get into that subject. But I want to ask you, how did you become so passionate about human potential? That's a great question. And I'm really glad you asked me this first before we dive into it, because I think it helps people really understand uh, the connection. Uh, I had a really dysfunctional, abusive childhood. Uh, riddled with physical, mental, emotional, and sexual abuse. Uh, so there was a lot of trauma. I luckily had the genetic disposition to, despite everything going on around me, to kind of want to be outside and playing with other kids. And um, I had a lot of energy and a zest for adventure and adrenaline. Uh, so I think my ability to kind of escape my world through my play and imagination uh, was a saving element for my psyche. Uh, my brother, who's only 11 months older than me, did not have the same disposition. And you can see in a very clear family case study that his lack of that individuality and autonomy uh, caused him to be, um, he, again, only 11 months older than me, a very unhappy, angry uh, person who is really kind of repeating the cycles that he hasn't healed within himself. So um, I think my ability to escape in many ways, uh, even again through my imagination, allowed me to uh, process the trauma a little bit more effectively and not endure it as much, like sit in it as much as he would sit in it because he wasn't as out there doing as much as I was. Um, but there was still a lot of pain. There was still a lot of suppressed um, issues. And so when I went to college, I studied psychology um, as pretty much every person with a bad childhood does <laughs> to figure <laughs> out their own dysfunction. <laughs> uh, so when I was learning psychology, I was just, it was the first time in my life I actually cared about school. It was the first time in my life I actually wanted to go to, to class and found value in it. And I was just obsessed about why people do what they do and learning how the mind works and learning about, um, you know, the ego and the conscious and subconscious. And, um, and I thought to myself, why isn't this mandatory? Like there's some mandatory things we have and this isn't mandatory. This is crazy. <laughs> it's a study of being a human being. Yeah. <laughs> like that should be something we're all learning in first grade. Yeah. So, um, I knew the importance of it and how it was going to play out in my life. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with it. My dad would always mock me like, what are you going to be a psychologist? And, and of course he's the kind of guy who needed therapy the most and never ever would get therapy. And I was like, um, I don't know, dad, it's the study of human behavior. I probably could do a lot of things with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, my, my entrepreneurial journey started right out of college, as I mentioned, 1995, and it was in the fitness industry, which was an infant industry at the time. And I started using this, this background knowledge, you know, that the forefront of that was, you know, my continued education and exercise biz. So nutrition. So the forefront of fitness is, you know, what you're eating and how you're working out. But the truth of it all is it always comes back to the psychology that got you there, right? So why are some people more motivated than others? Why do people 
are addicted to sugar and other people are not? Why do people always go back to the same cycles and patterns? And even when they lose weight, they gain it back. So I was more obsessed with those things. Like, why does this keep happening to certain people? And, um, and so it really served me well in helping motivate others, helping people figure out why they kept repeating the same cycles. Um, teaching people the emotional connection of food uh, versus and, and helping them separate the emotional connection to break the addiction pattern. And, um, and then every aspect of my life, I just kept growing psychologically and spiritually and um, applying it to my, my professional life and learning mindset training and applying it at a higher level than I learned it in college, understanding belief systems and perspectives and, and the control that we have in all of that. And um, understanding that we can live such a more powerful, intentional life if we understood how our minds work, how our brains work, which is a little bit different, um, how our physiological state can be optimized or suppressed, and how we do have the power to choose in every single moment how we want to feel. And um, the more I became clear in that, the more I realized that I would joke and say, when you learn this stuff, you become Jedi to your own life. Uh, I'm sorry, you become Yoda to your own life and a Jedi to everybody else's. And that's so powerful when you think about it, because Yoda would sit there with so much wisdom and clarity and the Jedis would lead people in a very uh, intuitive way. And and as my daughter, who's now 14, said when she was seven, as I was teaching her all these things, she said, so basically, mom, you're saying our bodies are one big magic wand? Oh, and I, I was love like, it. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. They are. Yeah. I can't believe all my years of teaching this. I never thought of that. But she was in like that Disney, you know, magic stage mm. of her life. And she just put it all together. And so, um, so basically, to, to go back to your initial question, I learned all of this stuff to heal myself. Mm-hmm. And the more I could heal myself, the more I could help heal others. And, um, and I know for sure we all can heal one another if we just have the right tools and skill sets. So a lot of people that are in bad places are just there because they weren't given the tools. And if you gave them the tools, they could probably work their way out of where they are. They have to desire it, of course. But uh, And so my life mission really became giving people these tools so that they can live the fullest life that they possibly live, the happiest life they can live. And I was recently speaking at a university in London, and uh, one of the students raised his hand and said, you've accomplished all of these things that are so cool. Besides your kids, what's your greatest accomplishment? And I never thought about it before until that moment. Because, of course, you normally would say kids and, and then, you know, maybe you'd say like an award or something. But for me, it was intrinsic happiness. The fact that I've created a life that I have intrinsic, consistent intrinsic happiness is what's so powerful for me. Um, the greatest achievement I could probably ever ask for. And I believe the greatest achievement that anyone else could desire for themselves you mentioned belief systems, and I'm curious to know how that plays into human potential. Like, what is that? What is the significance of someone's belief system? It is the foundation of everything. <laughs> everything. And most people don't realize this. And, and most people don't even most people didn't even participate in the belief systems that they have in the first seven to 10 years of their lives. It was projected on them by their parents, their grandparents, their teachers, all the, the influences, television, even uh, kids in their neighborhood. So all these projections of beliefs are coming at us as kids and, and they form these opinions and views of the world. And some are helpful and some are not, some are very hurtful and stunting in our growth. As we become a conscious adult, we can start to dissect those things. But our belief systems literally create the glasses that we view the world with and and the interpretations of how we're viewing the world. And, and I always tell my clients, look at the outcomes that you have that you don't like and realize that there is a belief somewhere 
rooted creating this outcome. No outcome exists without the belief. And so, you know, I have a bunch of girlfriends that are single uh, and they live in the city in Philadelphia with me. And they'll always say, when, when I was single, before I was in the relationship I am right now, they'd be like, well, how do you meet so many great guys? You meet guys all the time. And I'm like, because they're everywhere. There's, there's plenty of them. And they walk around saying, there's no good guys. All the guys are taken. Guys in Philly are terrible. And I go, well, therein lies why you keep finding what you've created. You're, you're literally validating your belief systems as you walk around the world where my belief system is not that at all. I believe there's plenty and there's many incredible guys out there. And so number one, am I not viewing the world differently, but I'm also sending out a different energy than you are. Mm -hmm. Their energy is way more closed off and judgmental and really quite honestly, less, less approachable. If I were a guy, I wouldn't feel like they were that approachable because of the energy around that belief system. So it's mm -hmm. not just what you're thinking. It's the emotion that's created and the attachment of that belief. And same thing, just a couple of weeks ago, this girlfriend of mine said, it's amazing to me how many good girlfriends you have. Like you have so many incredible girlfriends. I've never seen anything like it. And I was like, really? Like, it's totally normal to me. And and she goes, well, I never really had that many girlfriends because I think most girls stab you in the back and can't be trusted. And I was like, well, there's why you have, <laughs> there's probably why you don't have that many good girlfriends because you have, even if that happened to me by somebody in my life, I didn't allow it to be the belief system. If a girl did something to me, I would make it about her, mm -hmm. not about the entire gender population of females, but that belief system is creating this outcome for you. And so you're attracting to so go back. The belief system isn't just a thought. It's now an emotion. It's a frequency that she's sending out to the world that is attracting women that would do those things. Mm -hmm. And, and quite honestly, even if they're not necessarily doing it on purpose, her interpretation because of the belief is going to go to the negative instead of the positive. It's interesting, too, because I think we do manifest whatever we're focused on. If we really believe something, I mean, it totally comes true. You really have to be careful what you say and what you feel because it's going to come back to you. Yep. And, and people, people that don't put enough faith in that often live lives of just these roller coasters of what they feel like they're falling victim to life and life is happening to them. Mm -hmm. And... And so when I speak to people like that and they, they doubt what I'm saying, I say, well, how's it working out for you so far? Not great, right? So why wouldn't you try another philosophy or belief system? Because obviously I can attest that I didn't come from a good childhood. I didn't have all the, the makings and foundation of living this, in crazy, in, this in, incredible crazy life that I live. It was all very intentional. And I would say if you ask so many people that are very successful, and I don't don't just mean like money in a bank account or titles, I mean blissfully happy every day, love their lives, excited about life, they'll say that they intentionally created it and manifested it. And um, I make my, my, not make, I encourage my clients cre uh, keep a manifestation journal where we're so focused, kind of like a 100 people compliment you and one person says something bad about you, you pay attention to the bad thing and you totally forgot about the other like hundred compliments that you got. Mm -hmm. We do the same thing in life where we pay, we remember so clearly the negative things that happen or things that didn't work out the way we wanted them to. And we don't put enough emphasis on the things that we have intentionally created. Like just this morning, I was writing this girl's name down on a piece of paper to remember to call her tomorrow. And she texted me at the same exact time. So that moment goes right into my manifestation journal because I was energetically in alignment as she was as well. And, and that is not by chance, but that, by the way, those things happen all day, every day in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually play games to make them happen even more where I'm like, let me think of someone I haven't thought of in a long time. I love That's that. totally random. <laughs> But I write them down yeah, in the journal yeah. and I have my clients write them down in the journal. So we stay more energetically focused on our power to create and what's working out. 
so that we put more energy in that so that we harness that power more. That's very cool. So a lot of people have these beliefs that are limiting. Did you ever have a limiting belief that you changed? And how did you change that? Big time. Two of my biggest ones were around fear of failure and the other uh, around money. So, which I feel is a common for, and I'd say the other big one for a lot of people's fear of rejection, right? So my dad was in, in the Marines. He was a drill sergeant in the Marines, very strict, uh, emotionally unavailable, very rigid. And the belief system that was projected on us growing up was failure is not an option, which is a very military-like quote and completely understandable on a battleground. But if you teach a child that who has good self-preservation skills, the child is most likely going to do everything that they feel confident at doing naturally, and they're probably not going to try things that they could fail at for fear that that meant they were a failure or for fear that, that they would get in trouble. So that's what I did most of my life. What I was good at naturally innately, but I was really afraid to try anything that I could potentially fail at, which really holds back your potential. If you're not trying things that are out of your comfort zone and out of your natural abilities, you're limiting your own expansiveness and your potential. And so when I was in my, career already as an entrepreneur and I was evolving somewhat out of my fitness business and more into a comprehensive life coaching. Life coaching was a new terminology then, but helping a lot of my clients start businesses, I had an idea journal like so big filled with so many ideas and and I'd watch these ideas come to life. Like I'd see I'd be out somewhere and I'd be like, oh my God, I had that idea. It's in my idea journal. And um one day I'm sitting on my front porch. My children are infants at the time. And um, by the way, I keep saying children and, and clump, lump them together, but they're twins. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> so I'm like at this, you know, at the same time, they're the same age. So um, I'm sitting on the front porch of my house, I kid you not, in a, a rocking chair, like one of those white wooden rocker chairs. And it was just such a ironic moment. And I'm reading fast company magazine and I'm reading about an idea that was exactly like an idea in my idea journal that turned into a hundred million dollars in three years. And I was like, God, Oh my God. I was like freaking out. And I was so mad at myself. And while it seemed to most people, I was living life very expansively and very audaciously. I wasn't to my potential. And so I knew I was still playing it small. And I'm reading this article. I'm thinking to myself, what is it within them that made them do this that's not within me? And I had to dive into really becoming introspective into those beliefs. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. My fear of failure because of the identification that I gave to failure was limiting me from going anywhere further than where I was. And so in that very moment, I created a new mantra that I have more fear of regret than I have a failure. So I kept saying it to myself over and over again, I have more fear of regret than I have a failure. And I began to say that mantra to myself all day, every day, because I learned when you were programmed a certain way for so long, especially when you're a kid and you're, creating these, you know, these programmings going into your neural pathways and getting solidified and stronger in those neural pathways, um, that in order to override them, you need to insert the new information just as much. So I basically walked around life <laughs> for years to say, I'm more fair, I forgot that I'm failure, I'm more fair, I forgot that I'm failure, trying to embed it cellularly within me. And, um, and I also added on to that, I have more fear of regret than I have failure because failure is just part of the process on the journey to success. There is nobody that is successful that hasn't failed. And so failure just being part of the process on the journey to success makes failure totally normal. And not that we want it or welcome it, but we do because 
inevitably we were not going to start something very perfect, right? So, so it's in the only time it really becomes failure is when you stop and give up. And, um, so that mantra changed my life. Uh, now it's just who I am. I don't even have to think about it. It's just, I become, I become really uncomfortable when I'm comfortable. So that's awesome. That's a great quality. Yeah. It's a really good quality. Um, and the other one was around money. Money was a huge issue in my home. It was a huge form of manipulation. Uh, between my dad and my mom, it was a huge form of manipulation to us as kids. Um, when my parents got divorced, my dad would use money to like hurt my mom where he'd say like you, if you don't come to my house on Christmas, instead go to your mom's house, I'm not going to pay for your tuition or I'm not going to pay for your school dance. So money had a very negative tone. Um, also when we'd ask for things from my dad, he would make us grovel to get it, even if it was a school uniform that I needed for school, like basic needs. Um, he would create such anxiety that asking for money became anytime I would even think of asking for money, I'd get anxious. And, um, when I started my first business, which was a gym, uh, my business partner was a guy who had already been in business and we'd have these these clients coming in who had, it was like a country club for country club gym for really wealthy people. And they were willing and ready to spend money to get the results that they wanted. And they'd come in and basically like throw their checkbooks at me. And, um, I would sell the package, but I'd go get my business partner and I'd be like, so I just like, they're, they're in for 20 sessions. Do you want to like go close it out? And he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I didn't want to ask them for their credit card. And he was like, what do you mean? You can't run a business like this. And I'm like, I know, I don't know why I feel like anxious asking them. And he's like, but they're wanting to give it to you. And it it hit me that that programming from my childhood was so detrimental for this anxiety that I had around asking people for money. And when he said it to me that way, like they want you to help them, like they're yeah, they want to give you money, so you give them freedom of whatever it is that's holding them back. It was like, wow. So uh, there was a couple others, but those were two of the biggest ones is really changing my beliefs around money. The other one would be also, which I think is a big one for women, is asking for help. Um, I had to really learn to ask for help. And uh, the quickest tip I could give around that was the transformational moment for me where my, I felt like I was burdening people, asking them for help again from childhood programming. My, my mentor said to me one day, how do you feel when you help people? And I said, I feel amazing. I love it. Like, I love being able to help people. And he said, well, then stop robbing people of the same amazing feeling. Wow. I was like, wow, I'd never thought somebody else would get excited helping me. Yeah. So awesome. yeah, those are, uh, you know, those are things we always still need to be conscious of, even as we reframe and uh, create new belief systems. You can't just, whatever it is that you're doing to get you further, you can't stop doing. Consistency in transformation is, consistency in habit in transformation is critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the consistency and the habits and the transformation, that really takes a lot of reflection and probably a lot of discipline to consistently continue to practice those things so that they become new neural pathways in your brain. Yeah. So I create a lot of to-do lists. My whole life is piled of to-do lists. And I always assumed everybody did. And I am learning fast that a lot of people don't. And I'm like, oh my God, I would be lost in life. I would literally be lost in life. And I'm not just saying that I create... Uh, to-do list. I'm saying like every day I have oh, wow. like, three columns, uh-huh. of, like, personal things and phone calls and text messages, but that stays in front of me all day. So I stay on track and I'm constantly reminded of what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. And, um, it's just really, it's so simple that it's almost ridiculous to people when I say, whatever habit you want to create, put on your to-do list every day. I mean, I literally used to write, <laughs> I literally write on my to-do list. 
So I actually do my to-do list and then I break it down in like days and hours of the day. So I know everyone can't see, but I'm, I'm sharing with you like oh, yeah. literally the hours of the day are broken down. And I would put on like shower in there. And, oh, I you know, do too. So you can just, I have something to check off. <laughs> it's yeah, so exciting. It was value. Like that time, it takes an hour sometimes yeah. to get ready, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to mm-hmm. account for that hour. And my ex-husband would be like, why? <laughs> why are you writing shower on there? Because And like, because it's consuming my time. Yeah, totally. I put on there like every day of my life because my life can get busy. I put on strokes for how many um, bottles of water I have. And mm-hmm. I write water, uh, I write lemon next to it. So I remember to put lemon in my water every day. Um, any Anything I'm trying to ingrain as a habit, I put onto my to-do list every day. And even things that already should be, things I've been doing for 20 years that seem so obvious to be a habit, I'll still put on my list so I don't ever forget to do it. Because mm-hmm. life gets busy and sometimes you just forget and then all of a sudden it's three weeks later and you haven't done it, right? Mm-hmm. So taking supplements, yeah, I put that on my list every day. I, I like that because I think it is kind of like you're designing, you know, you're designing your day. You get to be the person that decides. And so there's so many potential things that you can you know, including your amazing day and making your day the best day ever. So I like yeah. the way you organize it because it's kind of almost a way to get excited about your day too. It is. And when I, before I do my list, I feel overwhelmed. And when I create the list, I feel grounded mm-hmm. because there's a sequence and the reality to it too. Like sometimes I'll, in my to-do list section, I put too much. And then when I go break it down into the hours of the day and I'm like, okay, well, that's not even going to be possible. So I then highlight the top 10 things that need to get done. And then the things that don't get done, I just transfer to the next day. That's a, that's a good protocol. I like that a lot. I already wrote down, I'm like, Ooh, daily list. And then like maybe a little manifestation journal with that. That's so cool. I like that. Thank you. So let's talk about emotional intelligence. Why is that so powerful when it comes to personal success and happiness? So emotional intelligence is the mastery of your state. Um, It's the mastery of the thoughts that you're thinking, the words that you're choosing, the way way you're feeling and why you're feeling that way. And um, to me, it's the it ties in with the beliefs. It ties in with the mindset training. Um, I teach emotional intelligence a lot more comprehensive than my counterparts in the industry because my background is so layered. So most teach just from the standpoint of psychology. And I don't really believe somebody can embody something like emotional intelligence when they're just thinking it. You, you, I could think emotional intelligence vocabulary all day and what I should be doing, but if I'm hungry or tired, I'm not that emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. So I teach it comprehensively from the standpoint of your physiological state optimizes your mental and emotional state. So at first I teach people awareness of their physiological state and the connection to their moods and how they're feeling and how they're thinking. So, uh, for example, sugar is really not good for us. And And as much as people hate when I say it, you could think about it in the diet terms, which is very disempowering and and scarcity mindset. Like you can't have it because it will make you gain weight. I don't look at it like that. I look at it as sugar dulls my mind and my energies and my mood and makes my life harder. So I don't want it because it makes my life harder. And when people start to think about it like that, then, then you think about like, I can have it whenever I want it. I just choose not to have it when I want energy, which is kind of all the time. So, so, and if I didn't, if I, if I was going to indulge in sugar, it's going to be when I didn't need to have mental clarity and energy, but then you become so addicted to feeling good that you don't want to do things that don't make you feel good. And, and a lot of people will sadly go through life thinking, feeling mediocre is normal True. and feeling tired is normal and mm-hmm. feeling depressed is normal or feeling sad is normal. And, and the truth is it's not. And so the first thing I always work with my clients is getting them to feel how good it feels to feel good and, and making these lifestyle choices around 
what you're eating, how you're sleeping and prioritizing sleep. I mean, I used to not prioritize sleep, so I, I, I completely understand. I used to think it was a waste of time uh, until I got really sick uh, and my organs and thyroid and everything started having issues. Um, hydration, how incredibly important hydration is. Um, detoxification of your body. Um, so just even talk about hot hydration, lemon in your water is a, is a very easy detoxification methodology that makes a significant difference in your energy and mental clarity, therefore your mood. Exercise, massages, reflexology, supplementation, all of these different simple things to add into our lives to make, enhance or support our immune systems and our mental clarity and energy. And then uh, we can really, once we optimize our physiological state or understand the choices that we're making that sabotage us without realizing the connection to our mood and energy, we can then start to move more into the psychology side of it where I start to teach people nothing has meaning until you give it meaning. Right. So, so much of depression is people playing negative stories over and over again in their minds. And we have the control to change that in any moment. And, and, and I say most depression, I want to clarify most, the majority of depression in our society is not, uh, from a bio, uh, a bio side of things or a, uh, genetic. Most of it is from thoughts, playing stories in our minds, and or the substances we're putting into our body and not realizing the chemical relationship. So food is a drug that we put into our body all day long, and most people don't ever make this connection. So every time something hits your tongue, a chemical reaction is happening. So why wouldn't you be aware of the chemicals that you're putting into your body, creating these chemical reactions and not ever make the connection that is affecting how you're feeling or what you're drinking. Like if you're drinking a, a soda, aside of, aside of the, the level of sugar in it, all of the chemicals that are in it is having a chemical reaction in your body. So very few people are in positions when you look at the majority of depression, very few people have it in a situation where they were born genetically in a certain way um, or from a biology standpoint of their body, uh, something needs to be adjusted. So my one daughter um, did have Lyme disease and it's in remission right now, but Lyme disease is something that attacks your brain that is out of that majority statement, which caused massive anxiety for her. Um, and we got it under control very naturally. But, um, so I had interestingly enough, a test of this on my own, like one of those few percentages of things that affect your brain and create depression or anxiety, uh, hers with more anxiety than depression. Um, but it still goes back to gut health, right? So when we got her gut health in check, the anxiety instantly diminished and, and the, for those who don't know, Lyme is a parasite that attacks the central nervous system. So it, it's like creating almost like lesions on your brain. But her gut health was still affecting the everyday result of that. And so gut health is incredibly important. But, you know, we talk about mental health in our society, and, and it's unfortunate because so many people perceive what mental health to be is like somebody you know, you see like a homeless person on the street acting crazy. And the truth of it is most people that have, um, depression, mental health, quote unquote, mental health issues is actually called is caused by emotional dis-ease and the emotional dis-ease has played on for so long that it seems like it's ruminating in the brain and it's actually ruminating in the emotional state which is why I believe if everybody can learn emotional intelligence, they would have a better understanding of choices that they're making for their bodies. They would understand how their brains and minds work. So they would take control of their minds. They would have a better processing checklist of, you know, if I'm feeling triggered about something, I can say, okay, why am I feeling this way? Is this really real? Or is this my ego running out of control right now? Or is this something from the past that I'm bringing into the present, which 
it pretty much always is, right? What we're mad about in the present usually is always something that's from the past that's not resolved. Uh, and then we have all these tools where we can process our emotions more effectively. We can get to a state of calm more quickly. And then we can also reframe. So if I don't like something that's happening, what I'm most upset about is what meaning I'm giving it. It's the interpretation I'm giving it. So I can change my energy around something by changing the meaning, by changing my perception pretty much instantly. Even if it's a temporary soothing strategy, it still temporarily will soothe my energy in that moment until I can process it more effectively. So um, emotional intelligence to me is the answer to all happiness uh, and well-being in our society. And I believe that if every kid would learn it when they entered school, we would pretty much eliminate bullying, obesity, uh, learning and behavioral disorders. And in the future, as they become adults, all these uh, financial issues uh, that play over again in adults' lives, all these uh, fears that create limitations in people's potential. And when we're limiting our potential, and not feeling purposeful, we feel really disconnected from ourselves, which then goes back to that cycle of feeling depressed, disconnected, and unhappy. Mm -hmm. And when you're going through something like that, when you're, let's say something comes up and it triggers something from your past experience, you mentioned soothing and then processing. Do you think it's really important to first soothe yourself and then process something because a lot of people when they're upset they might react but also they want to get to the root of it they want to figure it out do you think that there's a process for that for to me uh from from my experience within myself and then also my experience with others it depends on the magnitude of the issue so if it's a smaller kind of silly somewhat benign thing that's you will put it in the like annoying and frustrating bucket you can pretty quickly reframe in that moment. Um, when it's a bigger thing uh, that really causes emotional distraught, you know, maybe it's loss of a loved one, maybe it's a breakup, maybe it's betrayal of, you know, a friend or a business partner. Those are more in the, the bigger buckets of emotional distress. I believe that having the tools to soothe allows you a more clear state to process more effectively. You can't process effectively when you're emotionally distraught. You just can't. And even if we think we are, we're really not. And, and if you think back in time where something happened and you were so reactionary in that moment and you just wanted to get to the root of it, you weren't going about it in an effective way, even though you might've thought you were in the moment because you just wanted to like, we as women are, are actually um, program like this more than men. So I, I joke with guys all the time, but the, the man cave is actually a really awesome thing. Now the whole theory behind a man cave is the man removes himself to a safe space to process, to come out of the man cave with a more clear perspective of the world. Right. And we as women would benefit greatly from doing the same thing. But our genetic disposition is more to like, we just want to fix it in that moment. We just want to like figure out what it is and fix it. And, and the truth is we're probably not going to ever fix something, especially if it's a big deal, as effectively in an emotional whirlwind than we will when we can step away from it. And if you think back at some of your life experiences, you could think of the ones that were such a big deal. And then like a day or two later, you're like, oh, I'm not through it now. Because you're looking at it with more rationality and just a more calm state. Uh, so I believe very much in space uh, to soothe then process. Um, especially if it's, you know, if you're in a fight with somebody or something, um, removing yourself not so there's a big difference in emotional intelligence it's one thing to withdraw from somebody to punish them uh this is a form of manipulation that most people have done and have had happen to them where somebody won't speak to you because they're punishing you so withdrawal to punish another person is not emotionally intelligent nor is it a strategy because it is still 
space and the root of manipulation. Taking space to process is emotionally intelligent. There's a very clear different intention behind it. The energy, therefore, is different associated with it. And and to say to somebody calmly, <clears throat> I want to have this conversation with you. However, I'm not in the best place to have it. And I don't think it would be constructive for either of us. So I just need like a day or two to kind of unwind and process. And then I'll be able to talk more effectively. Because right now, this wouldn't benefit either of us. That is really emotionally intelligent and would probably save a lot of relationships. And again, the other person on the other side might want to talk about it right away. But if you keep explaining, this is not going to be good for either of us. I promise you will not like what I'm going to say right now. And I know it's not the best version of myself. So I'm going to hold off. So, yeah, emotional intelligence can be very valuable in personal relationships and romantic relationships. Huge. Yeah. It's everything. It just teaches it teaches you how to respond instead of react. And most people go around the world reacting. I call it the adult pinata syndrome. <laughs> funny. <laughs> you think of like funny. a kid. <laughs> Where it's like an adult has a blindfold on and they have a, a bat in their hand and they're just swinging, hoping <laughs> they don't miss people. I mean, hoping they don't hit people as they're swinging, right? And most adults are going through life hitting people. Mm-hmm. They're not doing it on purpose, but they, they're unconsciously hitting people. And so um, emotional intelligence allows you just to approach life so much more aware and clear and not taking everything so personally and making everything bigger than it needs to be. Do you think that the physiological aspect is like the first component of it? Um, As far as becoming emotionally intelligent, you kind of mentioned, you know, the physiological and then the emotional and the financial and all those components. Do you think the physiological piece has to come first? Um, And simultaneously, it's the fastest fix. So it might take us some time to rewire our programming or our belief systems and how we respond versus react. And, and we learn that there's a better way and we practice that there's a better way and we reframe a better way. But that takes a little bit more time to really embed in who we are. The physiological stuff is just easy and quick. I mean, hey, listen, if you want to be more patient, sleep eight hours mm-hmm. or, you know, make sure you're eating healthy. And there's a lot of value in that. Or you want to be more energetic when you get home for work to play with your kids and not just be emotionally withdrawn, then eat healthier through the workday. So those are all, to me, things that are more in our short-term control mm-hmm. that supports a better environment. Again, I'm really emotionally intelligent and I've been teaching this stuff for a really long time and I've been tested a million times. But if I forget to eat and I go pick up my daughters and they're in the backseat and they're like, mom, da, 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 can I get this? Mom, I want that. Mama, I am probably not going to give the best answers and I'm probably going to lose my patience and I might feel like snapping at them. So being emotionally intelligent in that moment, I would say to them, hey, girls, mommy forgot to eat lunch. I'm really hungry right now. My blood sugar is low and I should not answer your questions until I eat something because you're probably not going to like the answers. So being emotionally intelligent is also being able to acknowledge our state. You know, like my daughter a few weeks ago got in the car and she just was, I'm like, is this 14? Is this like the hormones? Like, is this what it's going to look like for the rest of like her high school years? And she's like, Finally, I'm like, babe, what's wrong? And she's like, I'm just really tired. And I love that she was able to acknowledge that her being tired was contributing to her personality at that moment. And that's being emotionally intelligent. She's able, we're able, as we become emotionally intelligent, we're able to give people our playbooks to play more nicely with us. Mm-hmm. You know, even I had a boyfriend who, um, when we first started dating, spoke to me in a tone of voice that was very close to my dad's tone of voice, which was not a nice tone of voice. And when I, when he spoke to me in this tone of voice, it was because he wanted to get my attention to get his way with something. And it triggered me so viscerally and deeply that I wanted to like scream at that moment because it was like triggering so deep 
And so I had to gain my composure and, and it also made me want to shut down, which is the opposite of what he wanted. And, and I had to go through that line of questioning. Why am I feeling this way? Is this really like real right now? Why am I feeling such anger right now? And it dawned on me that his tone of voice sounded so similar to the type of condescending tone of voice my dad would have. So I took a deep breath, remained very calm. And I said, I understand you're trying to get my attention. However, you're speaking to me in a tone of voice that literally wants to make me do nothing for you, makes me want to shut down and honestly makes me want to scream at you right now, but I'm not, but I'm going to explain to you that this tone of voice sounds very much like the same demeaning tone of voice my dad would speak to us too. And if you need my attention or want my attention, you will get it more clearly and supportively if you speak to me in a nicer tone of voice. And so at that moment, he's looking at me like, okay, I've never had this conversation before. <laughs> but I also was giving him the playbook. Like, yeah, I get it. You probably got your way a lot in life talking to people this way, but you're not getting your way with me like this. So it would be easier for you to understand my language right now because this isn't my language. And, um, and so when we are that aware, we can help other people become more aware of how to interact with us effectively. I love that. That's really cool, too, because you're really just being honest and authentic in a way. Which is such a not, I mean, that's like a show in and of itself because it's really about being truthful, right? And, and what's so weird is I learned as I became more truthful and transparent, it became so liberating and for people, so most people are used to walking around, like creating these facades and personas and, and white lie lives and say, saying things to people that they think they want to hear, even though it's not the truth, which is so heavy when you think about it. And, and so it's funny when you speak the truth to people who aren't used to hearing the truth, they actually take it as sometimes even being mean, even if you're saying it really nice or like so direct. My boyfriend, when we first started dating, he would be like, you're so mean. And I'm like, I'm actually just being honest. He's not being mean. I'm just being truthful. Like I'm not okay with that behavior. If you would like me to sit here and lie to you and pretend I'm okay with it. Why? That's, that's lying. It's manipulating you. I'm not okay with it. So would you rather me just be upfront and honest with it? Or like, play in the gray area of these charades that everybody plays their life. And so it was really funny how he perceived truth as not being nice because he was used to be around so many people that would just kind of lie and say what people wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And I'm of a place where I would just rather everybody be upfront and honest. There's a way of being direct that's being truthful and owning our truth. Just because it's my truth doesn't mean it's the truth. Just because it's my perception doesn't mean it's the truth. So I always have to take responsibility. I'm viewing this like this. I feel this way because of this. So I'm owning my perception. I'm not saying it's the truth. But there's a difference between being direct and truthful versus direct and abusive. Big difference. So when you say to some people being direct is good, they they use it as an abusive which is not, again, emotionally intelligent. There's a big difference between the two. You mentioned scarcity mindset. Talk mm-hmm. about that just a little bit. What's scarcity mindset? Uh, to me, scarcity mindset is fear, a, a mindset of based in fear that there's not enough, whether it's not enough love, not enough money, not enough attention, not enough air to breathe. Um, it just is fear that there's not enough and that you're not going to get your peace. Um, yeah, it's really weird. Recently I had a girlfriend who said to me, I feel like you love everybody. And she's one of my best friends. And she said, I feel like you just love everybody. So I don't feel as important. And I was like, I'm having a flashback to first grade when somebody was like, well, no, you're my best friend. So you can't be best friends with her. And I'm like, this is where this began. Literally in like first grade where girls would like, well, that's my best friend and that's my best friend, but you can't have two best friends. And I said to her, this is such a scarcity mindset. But why can't I love people and love a lot of people for what I love them for is all very different. What I appreciate them is why can't I have so much abundance of love that it is limitless, that it would take away from you? Like, why would you think that 
I'm giving you as much love as, as I, I give you. So because I give it to other people doesn't mean you get less. And it was just such a weird scarcity mindset of, I want her to almost be mean to other people. So I feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, money, you know, my, my boyfriend has this belief system based on how he grew up that he has to work really, 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 really hard for his money. And if he doesn't work really hard for his money, he didn't really earn it. And I was like, well, that's exhausting. Like you want to work that hard when you're 70 years old. Like that's an exhausting mindset. Why would you want that mindset? But it was really such a deeply ingrained belief where he'd see people like myself who are just never complaining, like, because I just love what I do. I never complained about it. I was, Oh, I gotta work. And he'd almost become angry. Like I didn't deserve to make that because I didn't suffer through making it. And then it was kind of like when he would spend the money, he would get anxiety and somewhat angry and resentful too, because there was a scarcity belief that now I have to go work really hard in order to get it again. And I don't know how fast it's coming. And so abundant mindset is the opposite of that, which is there is enough for everybody. There's a limitless amount of love. There's a limitless amount of energy, which is which is money as well. So there's a limitless amount of money. There's a limitless amount of opportunity. I mean, we really do live in a a limitless potential society. Um, The only limitations are that which we put upon ourselves or what others put upon us that we believe. Now, as somebody who invents and innovates throughout my career, I hear people say, well, you know, that doesn't work or, you know, that's, you know, we've tried that before and it failed. And, and my response to them is always, I'm not going to allow your limited beliefs to become mine. It's not going to happen. Don't know where you got yours from. They're not going to be mine. That's awesome. It's such a funny look on their face. When they, <laughs> it's just, they just don't even know what to say. It's so fun, but it's so powerful. What would be a, an affirmation for someone who might want to change their limiting belief about scarcity mindset? This is a very general one, but it would be, um, I'm so happy and grateful for my limitless potential and my endless flow of abundance in every aspect of my life. I love that. That's a Thank really you. great one. I just, I just made it up. Yay! It's wonderful. <laughs> I'm definitely going in, going in my affirmation journal. So let's talk a little bit because I know I could probably ask you like 30 more questions here. So do you have like a morning ritual um, to kind of get you ready for the day? Because you do have so much energy and I know you love your work. So I think that that has something to do with it. But do you have other ways that you prepare for your day? Every morning after I drop my kids off for school, I, well, I lay in bed in the morning while my kids are getting up and getting ready. And I reflect on the day that I would like to have. So I set clear intentions and kind of envision how I'd like things to go without attachment, but kind of getting clear in my intentions and hopes. And then after I drop them off, I have about a 40, 45 minute drive. Uh, so I listen to something personal development at that time to get my frequency at its highest place. Uh, and ideally, right when I get home, then I work out, continuing that frequency foundation setup, frequency setup for the day. Uh, and then um, my day is filled with great people. Uh, for the most part. So I I vibe off of everybody's energy. Um, I will say this, I do drink as soon as I wake up, um, next to my bed will be a full bottle of water uh, with lemon in it. Because when you're sleeping at night, your body is breaking down um, and slothing dead cells. Uh, So when you flush first thing in the morning, it helps release more toxins. And then uh, that exercise in the morning, as much as I'm really not a super morning person and would probably prefer working out at night, it just helps, again, detoxify your lymphatic system more. And then I am an intermittent faster. I've had an intermittent fasting lifestyle for 18 years. So I do believe that much of my energy against what a lot of people have been led to believe in society 
is because of the intermittent fasting, uh, my body is in a state of ketosis and, you know, I don't break my fast until around 12, one o'clock every day. If I was to eat breakfast, I feel exhausted, like really, truly exhausted. So I don't. And, and again, I've been doing that for 18 years. Now it's kind of a thing. Now it's like a more cool and respected and understood thing. Uh, but I really do believe, uh, so I usually, if I'm breaking my fast around one and my last meal is around seven and I eat small meals too. It's not just what you're eating, but it's how much you're eating throughout the day. Because if you eat large quantities, it takes so much energy. Digestion takes so much energy. So even if you're eating something really healthy, if you're eating a lot of it, you're going to be tired. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it's so true. I, I feel the same way. So what are your top three beauty biohacks? Honestly, I believe this isn't like a tactical thing, so to speak, but I believe happiness is anti-aging. And I believe the happier somebody is, the more radiant they are. And it shines through. Um, I'm 45 and I feel like I probably look more energized than I did when I was 30 years old um, because of shedding heaviness, trauma, anger, pain. Um, And so happiness to me really does anti-age in a cellular level, just like stress quickly ages on a cellular level. Um, Another beauty hack would be eating clean. Uh, and drinking lots of green juices. I drink a ton of green juices um, because to me and everything that I know and I've learned is when it's a fresh pressed green juice, the enzymes are alive and, and being absorbed into your cellular level faster and into your system faster. And to me, it truly creates a different glow to your skin. Um, I actually had friends who, when I you know became friends with them, would... And even an ex-boyfriend who would um, have skin cancer cut out all the time. What I found is most of their diets were dead. So even if they were eating lean, they were still eating dead food most of the time. So once they started incorporating two green juices a day into their lives, they stopped getting skin cancer. Wow. Huge, right? Mm-hmm. Because there was no this, the, the cellular rejuvenation process was at a minimum because everything was dead. And a third beauty hack is sleep. Again, I was the girl that would sleep four hours a night and be like, I don't have time to sleep. And um, I realized how horrible that is (laughs) (laughs) over time. So sleep is really important to me. I'm a minimalist with makeup. Like right now, I don't have really any makeup on. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, when I'm going out, I'll put more on. But I feel like the time periods where I was doing a lot of television, I'd have more have to wear more makeup, definitely age my skin. So I try to be a minimalist with makeup whenever I can be um, as well. Those are all awesome. And I love, love, love that the first biohack you said was happiness because I've done, you know, a, a number of interviews now and nobody yet has said something like that. So it's really exciting. I can't wait for us to share that with people. Thank you. Um, yeah. And so I think I already know since you talked about it, but what is your definition of beauty? Um, happiness. Yeah. Um, love. Happy, um, beauty to me is meeting somebody that just oozes warmth. You just, you know, I had a meeting with somebody earlier today and she was very nice and very cordial. But there was this like very clear wall in her energy, and and I I wanted to be like shaking her, be like let her loose, like give me a big hug, uh, because I feel like when somebody is comfortable in their skin and filled with happiness and love, they just ooze it out, and, it, and they're just so much more beautiful, and their energy is just beautiful, and they're. And we've all seen, you know, people who you could tell are really physically attractive, but their energy sucks. And, and then, and then they become less attractive. And I feel like the opposite can happen too, where somebody maybe doesn't have the exact profile of like the hottest girl or guy in the room, but then their energy just shines and you like, everyone falls in love with them. Um, so beauty to me is people who are just comfortable in their skin and filled with warmth and love for other people without walls or barriers. I love that. Thank you. You're welcome. 
So where can people find you? Uh, so my name, Jen Groover, like Groovy. So it's one N and Jen and then G-R-O-O-V-E-R. Um, I'm highly active on all social media, specifically Facebook, which is my name. I have a personal page and a uh, public page, more active on my personal page. And um, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, I'm not on Snapchat. I, I have a Snapchat account, but I just never fell in love with it. I have and that too. I get it. I don't know. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not even trying anymore. Um, and I think too, because my daughters want it so bad and I keep telling them that they're not allowed to have it, mm-hmm. um, that once I say that they can, I'm going to have to get on it to like follow them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta see what they're up to. Yeah, totally. So, uh, but yeah, I'm highly, very active on social media and I post a lot of resources and videos and things like that. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show. This was so amazing. Thank you. I'm so glad and I'm so grateful Allison introduced us too. Me too. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to this incredible episode with Jen Groover. Man, she was so awesome. Her energy and all of the amazing information that she shared with us. I love how she connects all of the dots because it really is a combination of physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. These are all things that we can work on if we're open-hearted and open-minded and willing to grow. Part of it is just being willing to learn more because there's so much to learn if we want to reach our own potential. So thank you for listening. I want to encourage you to share this podcast with just one other person. This information might be a game changer for them, especially if you think that they're interested in emotional intelligence, in their relationships, maybe in their romantic relationships, maybe as a parent, maybe in their career. Everyone can benefit from this powerful information. Please support the podcast by subscribing and please rate it. It would be amazing if you could give me a five-star review, but any way you want to go for it, please just let me know what you think. I'm really curious about your feedback, so Instagram me, find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter. I just want to know what you think, so please let me know. Please tune in next Monday. I am so honored to continue this journey with you. It is turning out to be such a beautiful ride. See you next Monday. Have a beautiful week.